Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Holy Lord, we do come into your presence again, uh, desiring that you will make us one. And Father, we are so grateful for the unity we have in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We just pray, Father, your presence will be upon us today. May your Holy Spirit give us the right words to speak, and may he anoint us, Father, with your message. Bless each one that is here today. Bless our ears that they would be open and attentive and alert and awake for your message. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, I forgot to have these passed out. Would one of you want to pass these out? Well, this afternoon we're going to talk a little bit about honoring our masters. And uh, there's some information up here on the board. You don't have to write it down right now. It's just it's information we're going to be going over uh, through our message this afternoon. So we're going to be talking about primarily employer-employee relationships. As we think about honoring our masters, we want to think of it in the context of employers and employees. And for a verse that we want to focus on, it's in 1 Timothy 6.1. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. It, it is a very short verse, but it has a powerful message for us to work off of this afternoon. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Why is this subject so important? We've talked about honoring God. We've talked about honoring parents. And this is honoring masters. And I think we can see how they all point to honoring God as we think about honoring Parents, honoring masters, it all points to giving God honor. Which is, I believe, every one of our goals. So, again, just the meaning of honor, again, just to keep it in the top of our minds, it means to place high value on the person of authority. To place high value on a person, and in this case, a person of authority. The way we show honor to our masters is the same way we show honor to parents, the same way we show honor to God, and that is through submission. We talked that about that yesterday, I believe. We mentioned about submission. Submission is simply yielding or resigning or surrendering to the power, will of authority of another. We talked about the round pen a little bit yesterday and about how the horse submits to the power of his trainer, to the authority of his trainer. We're called to submit to the authorities that are placed over us. <clears throat> God calls us to honor Him. And we can only honor Him as we submit to the authorities, in this case, as we submit to our masters. 
But I think there's one thing we want to, to emphasize here in the very beginning is that we only honor and submit as long as we can honor God. So we may have an employer or somebody who we are working for that would ask us to su submit to them and do something that perhaps may be unbiblical. In Acts 5.29, Peter says, and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. And I think we need to always keep that in mind as we're thinking about submitting to our masters. We may be asked to work on the Lord's Day for a job that maybe doesn't require it. Maybe our boss is just extra busy and he just wonders if we, could we work on Sunday. Um, and we have to be prepared to stand by our convictions on the Word of God. And I realize there's times that people have livestock and there's nursing jobs and there's jobs that do require uh, attention on Sunday. We're not talking about those. We may be asked sometimes to cheat on our time cards or, or to avoid overtime so the boss can save uh, a little bit of money and not have to pay time and a half. Sometimes uh, employers will ask people to bank their time. Banking their time means they just keep two time cards. And so that uh, maybe they want to go on vacation in uh, six or seven months and they've got some time then banked that they didn't turn it in as overtime. That's cheating. We may be asked to do something like that. And there's where we, we don't want to submit to them. We want to always honor God rather than man. Let's think about a few questions we'd like to explore this afternoon. One is, what does the Bible mean by, by masters and servants? What does the Bible mean by masters and servants? I'll go through the questions and we'll answer them throughout our uh, discussion. Number two, what does it mean to honor your masters? We need to, if the Bible says here, we're to honor them. Count them worthy of all honor. What does it mean? And number three, a question is, is how can we dishonor them? How can, what's some ways we can dishonor them? Number four, what are the consequences? What's some consequences if we dishonor our masters? Number five, how does the way we honor and dishonor them ruin or enhance our testimony? How does it ruin or enhance our testimony? We're going to build a little bit off of what Mark talked about earlier today about evangelism. And then last of all, we'd like to talk about seven B's for being a good servant. And those are up here on the board. We'll go through those at the end of our message. Well, first of all, I want to tell you a story about Go-Getter. If you can see this picture over here, I don't know if you young ladies can see it okay. I don't know if it helps to turn it a little bit like that. But over here we have a picture of Go-Getter. Go-Getter works here at this gas station, Fill Me Up Gas. And Go-Getter is a, is a good employee. Several things about Go-Getter, he's always on time. When he goes to work, he's always on time. Go-Getter also collects money as he works at this gas station. Every penny is always accounted for. Every penny is always accounted for. As you can see, he's got a windshield washer there. He washes the windshields as just the way he's been taught. He washes the windshields. He cleans the restroom. Joe, our artist, he, he didn't draw the restroom on there, but there's a restroom on, at Fill Me Up Gas. And 
Uh, he cleans the restroom on time, every two hours, just the way he's been shown. Mr. Bossman can't say enough good about Go-Getter. And the other day he was talking to the manager of Grab and Run Grocery Store, and he was saying, Go-Getter is the best employee I've ever had. He's always on time. He does everything I ask. He never forgets anything. He's a dream come true. Now, the question is, I'd like to ask you, would God be impressed with Go-Getter? Would God be impressed with Go-Getter? One of you young men, you think, yes. you think he'd be impressed with Go-Getter? Okay. What about one of you ladies? Do you think God is impressed with Go-Getter? Good point. Okay. She says it depends whether he's working for God or if he's working for his employer. Very good point. We'll come back to Go-Getter in just a little bit and talk about him. In the meantime, let's go on. Let's talk about, briefly, who are our servants and who are the masters? Let's define them. Uh, the Bible here says that let as many servants as are under the yoke of their own masters, count their own masters worthy of all honor. So we've got servants and masters. And so servants are those men and women that are under, well, there's two kinds of servants. There can be uh, uh, servants who were actually slaves. They did not work for pay. They might have worked for room and board or whatever, but they were slaves of a master. And there's another kind of servant that's a voluntary servant. He's an employee. He's a voluntary. He can, that means he can come and go. He can quit if he doesn't like it, or he can stay on. He's a voluntary. And that's kind of what we're thinking of as employees. Aren't we voluntary employees? Well, we can leave any time, I mean, unless we have a contract or whatever, but for the most part, we're volunteers, voluntary employees, not volunteers. And the master is the one who is the employer. He's the one that is over the servants. He directs these men in business. Uh, he's referred to as the husbandman in the Bible, oftentimes. So not everyone's called to be a master. We have to recognize that. Some of us are called to be servants or to be employees. Under the yoke means, back to our verse, it says, as many of us are under the yoke. Under the yoke just means, is speaking of servitude or perhaps slavery. Of course, in the context here, it's speaking of employment. We could paraphrase this to say, let those who are employed consider their own employers worthy of all honor. That's perhaps just a paraphrase, taking what that verse literally means. Let's think about servitude. Why is servitude so important? Why is it important to be a good servant? Well, first of all, we're called to have the mind of a servant in Philippians 2, verses, I think, 1 through 7 speaks about several verses of, of how to be a servant like Jesus. And I won't go through the verses, but, but verse 3 speaks about a servant has a humble mind and esteems other better than themselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, we want to have the mind of Christ. A servant's more 
concerned about the welfare of others than himself. It says, let every man esteem others better than themselves. And a servant is more concerned about his character than his reputation. You see that with Jesus Christ. Jesus left the best reputation he had in heaven as the Son of God and came down to be a lowly babe. He didn't care about his reputation. He came as a, as a babe. I mean, he did care about his reputation. I'm not talking about his moral character. I'm just talking about leaving the throne of glory, coming down all the way to earth. He it says he, he uh, made himself of no reputation. So, uh, we want to follow the example of Jesus. Another thing to think about is being a servant is one of the highest callings in Scripture. I'll give you a couple of verses. It says, Jesus said himself, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So we can see servanthood is a very exalted position, provided we are a faithful servant. Another reason why servitude is so important is because it makes up a major portion of our life. I did a little calculation, and I figured if, a, if an average person, I'm speaking about you young men perhaps, but if you start work when you're employed when you're 20 and you work all the way to 65, that's about 45 years. And if you work that long, you put in the average amount of hours, you're going to work about 90,000 hours in the workplace. That's a major portion of your life that you're going to perhaps work as a servant or under an employer. <clears throat> And so as we are working in the employment workplace, if we violate God's principles, you think about the power of a testimony from the negative sense of how you could cause uh, the name of God and His doctrine to be, not, to be blasphemed. But I want to think about a little bit building upon what was already said earlier about how the best way to evangelize is building a relationship with people. The reason why is because, let's say you work somewhere for 10 years, and you work an average of 2,000 hours a year. That's 20,000 hours that you're in contact with somebody day after day after day. Think about the opportunity you have to share Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about an employee that worked for me. I was an employer for about 35 years, and it was in 1999, the spring of 1999, we were, Danelle and I was getting ready to go on a trip, take most of our family to Romania, and Jeremy was going to stay behind and, and take care of the business, and we were really busy. And matter, but the other thing is we were fed up with the employees that we had had. We had an employee that was ungodly, undependable, and we were just fed up with it. And so we were just, I was praying for a for a Christian man. I don't know if I told Jeremy or not, but I was just praying that God would send us a Christian that we could trust and that could be a good employee. And so one day, Jeremy called me. This, uh, after this employee went down for an interview, uh, Jeremy interviewed him at a job site. And Jeremy said, he said, Dad, he says, was you praying for a Christian? And I says, yeah, I was. Well, he says, that's interesting. He says, this employee... This man just came, his name is Terry, for an interview, and he had on his shirt, his t-shirt, the words 
that said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I thought, wow, this is going to be good. And, uh, and so we ended up hiring Terry. And Terry worked for us for, for many years. I don't know, 15, 20 years. But there's something about Terry. Terry had a heart for the unsaved. And Terry used the workplace as, an op- as a platform to share the gospel of Christ. And I don't know, I mean, I don't think I saw him like taking time off work or during the day uh, when he should be working, sharing, but lunch breaks and, the, and coffee breaks and after work. Terry just had a way of, of, of weaving his, 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 the message of the gospel into the people he was working with. And Terry became a pastor also while he was working for us. He started a little church there in Yakima and became a pastor. But what a tremendous witness Terry was in, in the workplace. But people listened to Terry. They listened to him because he, he wasn't in-your-face type of a person. He wasn't forceful. But he just had a gentle way of weaving the love of Christ into their lives. And there's several, several people turned to faith while Terry was working for us. That's a tremendous opportunity. That's the platform of evangelism you all have. Now, I'd like to talk about nine different character qualities we can use to biblically honor our masters. Nine different character qualities we can use. And I have them written up here. Uh, you can kind of copy them down, but... It's reputable, being reputable, being responsible, being respectful, being faithful, being trustworthy or sincere, being obedient, being submissive, being focused, and being God-fearing. We'll have to move through those fairly quickly. First of all, let's think about being reputable. Being a, re- a reputable employee. Again, uh, we can refer back to our verse, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. So we want to, to think about being reputable in the context of our Christian service. So we're all called to be representatives of Jesus, right? We're all called as in the workplace, wherever we are, to be representatives of Christ. And so when we dishonor our master, we dishonor Christ. And our employees, our employers will notice that. We give a negative reflection of Jesus. To blaspheme just simply means to curse. It means to, um, to defame. Um, and when we defame an uh, employer, we're also defaming God because we're undermining, undermining our employer and dishonoring God. Perhaps we're given a task and, and sometimes we might answer back in a negative or a disrespectful way. That is dishonoring to our employer. That is not being reputable. I think of this verse about King David. David was caught in his adulterous act and 
it speaks about how he brought a reproach on Christ. And I want to use this verse. It's in 2 Samuel 12, 14. He says, How be it because of, by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And you see, when we, are, when we speak disrespectfully to an employer and we dishonor them, we give a great cause and opportunity for the employer to say, and he says he's a Christian, and he does that? That is not being reputable. So we want to be reputable. We don't want the enemies of God to blaspheme. We want to be able to show them Jesus Christ. Thinking about being reputable, a good reputation is built on strong character. Strong character. You've heard this said before, character is what we are when no one's looking. It's who we are inside. It's who we are in the dark, somebody else said. It's just, it's, it's who we are of our personality, character. And a good re- reputation is, bit, is built on that. Uh, Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Integrity of the upright will guide them. It will direct them. That's the kind we want to have strong character. When I think of strong, godly character, I always think about Joseph. Joseph is a prime example, beautiful example, of someone who had integrity. And with his integrity and his character, he caused kings to take notice of him, didn't he? There's several kings that turned to God and said, we'll only worship God because of Daniel's character, because of his outstanding reputation. I have a few questions to go. You also have a copy of the questions there. But kind of the questions kind of summarize perhaps each little area I go through. But examine, am I more concerned about God's reputation and character in the character that I display to my employer than my own personal preferences and well-being. Always think about God's reputation. That's the one who I'm representing. Number two, we want to think about honoring Him by being responsible. By being responsible. There it spoke about doing them service. Uh, perhaps that's another verse... I don't see the verse, but anyway, verse two, two, thank you. By doing them service, that's how we can honor them by being responsible, doing them service. Responsible means response-able. It means that we are able to respond to the duties that are given to us. Response-able, able to respond to the duties that are given to us and to follow the directions that are given to us to the best of our our ability. That's what responsible is. And a responsible person is soon trusted. Responsible person is trusted. He's then respected. He's often given uh, freedom. He's given trust. All those things go along with being responsible. Now back to go-getter. I'd like to to talk about him just a minute because... um, Go-getter appears to be um, a very good employee. Um, 
You know, we talked about his outstanding performance. He always accounts for the money. He washes windshield, the windshield as he's been taught. He cleans the restroom as, every two hours, just like he was taught. But I don't think God would be impressed with go-getter. I'd have to differ with you. And here's the reason why. From a, a Christian perspective, go-getter is an unprofitable servant. And you say, well, wait a minute. He did all that he was told to do. That's right. But let's look at a scripture. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Starting at verse 7. And we'll be able to, to uh, perhaps discern a little more about Go-Getter. And I would have answered your question, uh, David, the same way. Uh, so don't feel bad. Because I think we all probably thought, go-getter, yeah, God would be impressed with him. Didn't most people think that? Probably did. <clears throat> well, let's read the story here, Luke 17, 7. But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trail not. He's saying it's no big deal. No. Verse 10 says, So likewise, ye, when ye have done all those things which were commanded you, we are unprofitable servants. We have just done that which was our duty to do. And you see, that's the deal with Go-Getter. Go-Getter was a good employee, but he just did what was his duty to do. It doesn't say he went beyond. So a profitable servant goes beyond duty to exceptional service. A profitable servant goes beyond just the responsibilities of washing the windshield and putting the money in the till and, and, and being cheerful and, and whatever. He goes beyond that. And I had to think maybe some ways, you know, go-getter, how could if he exceeded his boss's expectations? You see, that's going the second mile. Jesus said that when you've gone the first mile, no big deal. That's just your duty to do. But when we go the second mile, that's when we become profitable servants. So there's some things that go-getter could have done. Uh, maybe he could have covered for other employees and maybe he could have had an extra enthusiastic attitude and maybe he could have showed up extra early for work and made the coffee. I don't know, there's several things you could think about go-getter that he could have done that could have been except, exceptional. Exceptional. But just think about this. Obligation, it stops, it ends at mile marker one. Ministry begins at mile marker two. We want to minister we want to share the gospel. We want to show the love of Christ and how we're different than all the other employees. Then we have to do things different than what everybody else does. Question to examine ourselves. Do I exceed my boss's expectations by being an extra mile profitable servant? Or do I do just what's expected? Something to consider. <clears throat> So number three, we'll talk a little bit about honoring our masters by being respectful. 
Honoring our masters by being respectful. 1 Timothy 6, 2 says, And they that have believing masters, let them not despise or disesteem or look down on them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. He says, these things teach and exhort. Did you get that? Do not despise them or disesteem them or look down on them. He says, because they're brethren, maybe they're not brethren. But I think in this context, remember some of these people had come, were, were just brand new Christians, first generation Christians. And maybe they had a believing boss and maybe they thought they could get by with a little bit more because their boss was a fellow Christian. And we might even have a tendency to think that ourselves. He's saying, no, don't do that. We don't want to despise them or take advantage of them or look down on them. So I have just a few ways that, that servants can despise their masters. These are common in the workplace, unfortunately. Being an employer for several years, and some of you, several of you have been employers. I know Norm has been an employer, and, and you know, several of you have been employers. But these are common in the workplace. And number one, the one thing I despise the most was sowing discord among the other employees. What happens is when people are disgruntled and you sow discord among your fellow employees, what you're doing is you're undermining the company. It's just like tunneling underneath of that thing. And sooner or later, when there's more people that join you and you tunnel underneath of the thing, eventually it can collapse. Because then you start kind of a conspiracy. And it could just start with, yeah, he sure makes us work hard. Or sure made us work late the other day. Or sure doesn't give us very long breaks. Whatever, there's all kinds of ways we can be disgruntled. But sowing discord is one of the seven things God hates. Matter of fact, I think that that's the top of the list. Even though it's, it's the last on the list, it's the seventh. I believe, as I understand Proverbs, that he's putting the emphasis on that one. Not, be, not because of the order, but because he puts the emphasis. And the seventh, the last one, he that sows discord among brethren, it says, it, it's an abomination to God. It means that he hates it. It means it makes him nauseated. It makes God sick when we sow discord, either in the church, and we'll talk more about that later, but in the church, in our company, in our home, sowing discord is very displeasing to God. So a company can easily be destroyed within by a disgruntled employee. And this kind of goes along with it, but just talking behind their back. I realize that maybe we aren't intentionally sowing discord, but just talking behind an employer's back, saying something about them we would not say to their face is talking behind their back. It happens all the time. Don't join in. You hear a disgruntled employee, try to find something, a fellow employee, try to find something good to say about the boss. Change that. Yeah, but look what he does. Look at this. Look at that. Don't buy in to being disgruntled. Titus 2.9 says, Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things. And get this, not answering again. Not answering again. It's amazing how, how 
how much the Bible speaks about honoring our masters. Not answering, answering again means not, not back talk, not grumbling, <clears throat> not trying to force our own opinions, maybe even on the boss or on other workers, uh, not being negative uh, means following through even when it may not make sense. Just following through, doing what's expected of us or what's, what we're told to do. But it also says um, to seek to please them well in all things. So our goal as a servant is to seek to please Him. Notice we look for opportunities. A little more than what Go-Getter did. We look for opportunities to exceed His expectations or her expectations. So we need to examine ourselves. Do I ever talk negative about my employer, either to myself or to others? You see, even if, even self-talk, negative self-talk will tremendously affect your attitude in the workplace. Number four, we want to honor them by being faithful. Honor them by being faithful. There's a proverb 25.13 says, As cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refresheth the soul of his masters. Being a faithful messenger, God calls us to being faithful servants. What I understand from this verse, it says, For he refreshes the soul of his masters. A faithful servant brings refreshment to those that he's serving. It means he gives new strength and new vigor to the company that he's working for. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find? I don't know how many resumes I go through, and I'll tell you, they could proclaim their own goodness. I mean, they would have all kinds of things they could do and all sorts of experience that they had. They'll proclaim their own goodness. But it says, but a faithful man, who can find? Faithful servants are rare in the workplace. They're in high demand. <clears throat> Along with being faithful, a faithful servant is honest. Faithful servant is honest. Now this is going to get into an area perhaps that maybe you don't think about. I see this happen all the time about dishonesty in the workplace. He, this is what Titus says. He says, exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well of all things. In all things, we talked about that. <clears throat> not answering again. But then in verse 10, he says this, not purloining. Not purloining. Now, does anybody know what purloining means? One of you young men? Purloining. Not a word we use very often. Taking something that doesn't belong to you. That's right. But it has a connotation of stealing in small increments. Stealing in small increments. I had an employee. One day I got a, job, I got a phone call from a roommate of an employee. And he said, by the way, he says, are you missing any copper fittings? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, we... This was on a grocery store or something like that, and so it was a big job, and there was several employees, and I mean, copper fittings were in the, in the job trailer, 
<clears throat> by the boxes, and I certainly didn't count them all. I didn't know. He said, I just thought I'd let you know that uh, this guy buys in his lunchbox. Well, he could bring home a few copper fittings each day. Did the boss notice? No, I didn't notice. And you know, most employees that do this, they feel just a little bit justified. They, they think they can just, you can rationalize anything. You can rationalize murder, right? You can do anything. You can rationalize. But he was rationalizing that if he was taking small amounts, it wasn't hurting the company. Maybe he wasn't paid maybe quite as much as he was worth anyway. Maybe he was working extra hard. You know, there are on and on you can go. So he was rationalizing it. <clears throat> so justifying himself. But what about, I realize that none of you would be tempted to steal copper fittings, and, and that's, that's nothing that we Christians would do. But what about stealing time? What about stealing time? Think about that. If a person is punching a clock and working hourly, and he's just a couple minutes late for work, no big deal. But wait a minute, is it or isn't it? What about taking just a few minutes longer than a lunch break? Oh, I've got to make this phone call real quick. I'll make it up for the end. But What about social media at work? What about texting? Oh, I just, maybe I'll send this text real quick. And Oh, my phone buzzed. Ah, Facebook, let's see. Somebody must took a picture of themselves. Whatever they did. All right? So, or a phone call. I mean, these are all things that are seem very minute and very small. I had one employee that it just oh, made me so sick. I mean, he'd talk for hours on the phone, personal calls, and I'd talk to him about it. It was a good friend, a relative. It was just kind of like, uh, what do you deal with? how do you deal with that? But it was stealing. You know, he'd, he'd talk on and on while he's at work. But you see that stealing in small amounts. That's what he, Titus is, Paul is telling Titus. Not purloining, but serving in all good fidelity, honesty. So I want to think a little bit about the rewards of this faithful servant. Think a little bit about the rewards. <clears throat> okay, so all these people have something in common. The CEO, the maid, the doctor, the secretary, the foreman, the receptionist the superintendent, the janitor, the day laborer, they all have something in common. First of all, they're all equal in the sight of God. God doesn't say the doctor's job is more important than the janitor's. So in the sight of God, first of all, they're all of equal importance. Another feature about them is that they're all accountable, aren't they? They're all accountable to the next level above them. They're masters. Every one of them. They're all accountable. Even doctors are accountable. If they don't play by the rules, they get kicked out of the hospital. They can't practice there anymore. Everybody is under a level of authority. The last thing is, they will all be re rewarded according to performance. No, not performance. All rewarded according to to their faithfulness. You see, some of us may not be able to do a job quite as well as somebody else. That's why the reward isn't on performance. It's reward according to faithfulness. 
We could talk about the story of the talents, Matthew 25, uh, verse 14 through 30. But briefly there, the master was traveling into a far country and he distributed his gifts to his servants, everyone according to his ability, it says. And then upon his return, he rewarded them in proportion to their faithfulness and the use of their talent. Remember, the one guy invested it wisely and and God doubled what he, had, what he had given him. Different parables, sometimes he gave him ten, sometimes he gave them five, but in either case, he doubled it. If, he, if God gave him five, he rewarded him with ten. But the one guy that just buried it in the ground, was he being faithful? No, he wasn't being faithful. So we have to keep in mind, it's not so much what we do, It's our attitude and the effort that we put into it. That's really what matters most. The attitude and the effort. So examine a question. Would God consider me a faithful worker in the way I account for my time and talents? Or do I find myself sometime in conversations, lingering conversations at work while I'm on the clock or involved in social media or on the phone? So not only do we honor him by being, oh, this one, okay. We honor him by being sincere or trustworthy. About forgot that one. Honor him by being trustworthy. And Colossians 3.22 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but with singleness of heart, Fearing God. Here we're warned against eye service and men pleasers. Do you know what eye service and men pleasers are? You know what they are? But you want to say what they are? Hypocrites, exactly. They're hypocrites. And so they dishonor their masters by hypocrisy. This is the kind of person that is just tries to make a good impression when the boss comes around. They may work just a little bit harder or just a little bit faster when somebody's noticing. Those are men pleasers. Who is this person fooling? He's fooling himself. He's not fooling anybody else. Most bosses are aware of what's going on. He's fooling himself. But you see, sincerity comes from the heart. That's why it's all about our attitude. All about our heart. Proverbs 11.1 tells about what God thinks about cheating, what He thinks about not being sincere. He says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. God's saying, I hate dishonesty. I hate the false balance. But He says, I love love honesty. That's what sincerity really means in this sense. Sincerity in the Scripture means it's it's just, uh, it's, it's honest. There's no fake. Sincere. If you look up, I don't have time to go into the word. It's, the word itself means not fake, sincere. So, God hates cheating. This, of course, involves every area in the workplace. Uh, we talked about longer breaks and all that. God loves the 
just wait. And so we'll go on to number six. We honor our masters by obedience. We talked about obedience last night, but we'll, we'll talk about it in the context here of servants obeying their masters. Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, Ephesians 6, verse 5, says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Okay, another verse, scripture reference, is Colossians 3.22. Colossians 3.22 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, Again, not with eye service, but with singleness of heart, fearing God. So what obedience is, obedience, again, is the proof of honor. Obedience is really proving that we honor our authorities. How we obey in directions, expectations, all that demonstrates, we demonstrate honor by obedience. What about pretending obedience? Again, that's kind of back like the men pleaser. Pretending obedience or just, we talked about this last night, compliance. Just compliance is really not obedience. It's not the kind of obedience that God is asking from us. He's asking for obedience, again, that comes from the heart. I think pretending obedience is the same as hypocrisy again. It's... it's, a, it's portraying something that we don't really feel inside. It can be, it is hypocrisy. He says to obey with fear and trembling. That means that there should be a certain amount of reverential fear and respect that we have for our employers. And young ladies, I think this applies to you too. I mean, maybe you'll be a homemaker. Maybe you won't necessarily be in the employment field. And and we certainly would support that. But maybe you'll work before then. You'll have opportunity to demonstrate these things also. Certainly applies you know, to the home also. But anyway, obey with reverence and fear. And then to do it like we're doing it unto Jesus. I like to think of as being an employee as just like, like you're, you're really working for Christ. You're just kind of subcontracted out to, to an employer. But Christ is your real employer. And so we have to always remember what we're doing. We're doing for Jesus. We're working for Him. And another feature of this is that obedience goes beyond the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. But it looks into the the spirit of the directive that we're given by our employer. It looks at the spirit, not just the thou shalt or thou shalt not. Just an examined question. Do I obey in all things? Even when I disagree? Am I outward compliant, but inwardly defiant? Sometimes it can be challenging. Well, number seven, we honor our masters by being submissive. Having that submissive spirit. I realize these overlap a little bit, but we honor our masters by being submissive. First Peter 2.18 says, Servants, be subject or submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Not only to the the nice, friendly, cheerful boss, but also to the one that's maybe more domineering and commanding and, 
maybe not as pleasant to work for, be subject to him. Again, submission is that act of yielding to his authority, yielding to his power. Again, a submissive submission is an attitude of the heart. It's not something we can put on the outside. It all has to come from within. Submission. We even submit, again, when things don't make sense. We still have to submit. That doesn't mean we don't clarify. But we even submit when things don't make sense. That's a wonderful way to honor God. It's just cheerful submission. I want to emphasize the word cheerful A question we can ask ourselves, is my attitude one of submission even when I'm being criticized and rebuked? You may get criticized on the job. The the boss may chew you out for something and just really hammer on you. What's my attitude? What is my response back to him? Am I still going to be submissive and kind and respectful to him? Number eight is we honor God our masters by being focused. Jesus gives a very clear principle. In the Bible, he says, no man can serve two masters. Either he will cleave to one and hate the other, love one, cleave to the other. You can't serve two masters. You have to choose who you are going to serve. So we can honor God by giving our full attention, our full attention. Now, when we're working on the job, if it's eight or 10 hours, And our boss has contracted with us for that amount of work, 10 hours of work, 8 hours of work, and we're to be focused. We're to give him our full attention while we're on the work, on the job. Remember, we don't want to be just a go-getter. We want to be a faithful employee, a faithful employee. So giving our full attention. We've talked about not being distracted by outside interest, whether it's other phone calls or friends or social media, whatever. Distracted servants distract others. I think that's very critical to remember. You may be distracted from your job and your phone may ring and you answer it and it may distract somebody else. Remember, we can distract others by our own distractions. Ephesians 6, 5 and 6 again. Is this, uh, maybe I've read, yeah, let me go to verse 6. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of God, doing the will from the heart. I want to tell you a little story about this man named Fred. Fred was a clerk at a retail store, and he was a little bit rude and, and kind of lazy. And several occasions, the boss was about ready to fire him and let him go. But he didn't because he felt sorry for his family, and so he just kind of put up with Fred. And one day a customer come along and, and noticed that Fred was no longer there, and he asked the boss, he said, or the owner of the store, he says, uh, yeah, he says, what happened to Fred? And he said, oh, he took another job uh, for more pay. And the customer says, well, are you, do you plan to replace Fred? And the owner of the store said, no, Fred didn't leave a vacancy. Fred didn't leave a vacancy. He'd worked there all those years, but when he left, there was really no vacancy. You see, he didn't put his heart into what he was doing. We don't want to be like a Fred. Fred's work was of such poor quality that he didn't even need him. He was really looking for an opportunity to let him go. And I had many employees like that over the years. You just didn't want to let them go because you didn't want to hurt their families. But when they left, you were sure glad they left. You don't want to be one of those kind. Those are not the kind of employees 
that will be a Christian witness, that will be able to share the gospel. They, you can try to talk to somebody about Christ and, and your love for the Lord and all He's done for you, but if your employer or your fellow employees see that you're lazy, that you're not on to work on time, that you're just a go-getter, and you're not a faithful employee, your words won't go very far. <clears throat> That's why this Ephesians 6, 7 says, doing goodwill, with goodwill, doing service as unto the Lord, not unto men. So we want to serve heartily as unto Christ. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Heartily. Want to think about that word for a minute. Heartily. It means with vigor and zeal and enthusiasm. You see, that's the faithful employee. That maybe we don't know all about go-getter, but that might have been what he lacked. Was just zeal and enthusiasm. That's what it means to serve heartily. It means put everything into it while you're on the job, serving heartily from the heart. And then every time you have a challenge, every time you have a conflict, what do you want to remember? You want to remember, I'm not working for this guy anymore, I'm working for Jesus. So if I got a conflict, I'm going to have to deal with Jesus with it. That doesn't mean we don't resolve problems. I'm not saying that. But we don't develop a sour attitude because of a conflict. <clears throat> So we want to be focused, faithfully focused in the little things. Luke 16.10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in least is unjust in much. And so the principle I want to emphasize here is a little wasted time is the is a, same as a lot of wasted time. A little bit of pilferage or a little bit of stealing is the same as a lot to God. We know that. But I just want to reemphasize that. We can examine, am I dedicated to my employment by giving my whole undivided heart with vigor and zeal? Am I focused in serving my boss as if I was serving Jesus? Or do I just do, do just to get by with what I can? You see it there again. Obligation ends, mile marker one. Ministry begins, mile marker two. Last one, number nine, we honor God. Honor our masters by being God-fearing. <clears throat> Servants, obey in all, Colossians 3.22 again. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Maybe I touched on that earlier. But just, uh, I think... If our employers can see we're a God-fearing employee, man or woman, that is a tremendous testimony. We can honor our employees by being God-fearing because we're going to be obedient. We're going to be respectful. We're going to be all these other things if we are God-fearing. Perhaps it sums most of them up. <clears throat> and I think we need to realize that we are being judged. God is going to hold us accountable for our work in the workplace. It's not just our, our relationships at church. He's going to hold us responsible how we've performed in the workplace. And I, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in our body, whether it's good or bad. 
we will all appear before him. So we will give account. Last of all, I want to talk just about, I have down, I think, seven B's for being a good servant and touch on these briefly. The law of the harvest, again, whatever we sow, we are going to reap. And I, can, I think you can see how each of these will apply to our workplace without exception. And just remember, you'll be rewarded according to your investment in the seven B's. I want to say, first of all, that these shouldn't be a primary motivation just to get brownie points from our boss. That's not our primary motivation. Remember, we're doing it under Christ. We want to bless our employer by godly Christian living. Okay, number one is be early. If, if you want to really, okay, this is second mile stuff, okay? This is beyond what is the call of duty. Be early. It leaves a good impression. And employers always notice the, the employee that gets there a few minutes early and makes the coffee and stays late and a few minutes late, isn't always watching the clock and zoomies out the door at 5.01 or 4.59. Be early. Employees notice that. Number two is be diligent. Be diligent. I want you to write this, this proverb down. You probably know it by heart. It's Proverbs 22, 29. He says, Seest thou a man that's diligent in his business? What will happen to him? Stand before kings. He will not stand before ordinary men. He's going to be promoted. He's going to be noticed. The same with you ladies. We need to be diligent in our business. The diligent worker will be respected and he will be a second mile employee. Number two, or number three, I'm sorry, is be creative. Be creative. Think of new ways and improvements that you can cut costs and you can improve sales and, and assist with implementing even the other bees. But be creative. Think of ways that you can be the second mile employee. Number four, be orderly. Orderly. I don't know how many times I'd go out on a job and I'd open a guy's van up and I mean, everything's just thrown in there on top of each other. And you wonder, what if he needs the tool that's clear at the bottom? Well, it's going to take him half an hour to get clear to the bottom of that mess. So be orderly. And that is always impressive. Wherever you're, even your desk. I mean, keeping your desk orderly. If you're young ladies or a secretary or receptionist, what a message that sends to people. It always gets the attention of our boss or customers, and, and likewise the opposite does if it's messy. Number five, we kind of talked about this, about being enthused. Be enthused. I think enthusiasm is contagious. It is. I've seen enthusiasm here from, from the staff and from some of you, and it's just contagious. It makes me want to be enthused. So be enthused. Don't just kind of, oh, oh, I'm just trying to work, just kind of drudgery, just putting in my time. We want to be enthused. Number six, be available. Be available. What do I mean by that? I mean that if the boss, if, if he needs a little extra help, needs somebody to stay a little bit late, you know, the person that offers, hey, I, I don't have anything going, I can stay a little bit later this evening, help you out. Being available. Maybe he needs you to get there earlier. Be available. Maybe he needs you to work on Saturday. 
No, Saturday's my day off, but I can't help you. I realize you don't want to be taken advantage of, but be available. Remember, you're looking for opportunities. If this man is an unbeliever, or your co-workers are unbelievers, you're looking for opportunities to show the second mile. And number seven is be cheerful. Be cheerful. I want to say this. This is one of the most important of the bees. I put it last on the list, but it's the most important. Be cheerful. I can't, I can't begin to tell you how contagious cheerfulness is on the job. We had a Mr. Reuter franchise for years, and they taught us that the person that answers the phone, and young ladies, this is for you. The person that answers the phone is a doorway to the business. I remember calling different people, different customers, and the lady may say, hello, Joe's Plumbing, and oh, you think, oh, they're about ready to close their doors. Anyway, we went to Mr. Reuter um, University, <laughs> only college I went to for a few days. And they taught us, answer the phone, it's a great day, Mr. Reuter, how can I serve you? And so we taught our secretaries to answer the phone the same way. It was cheerful, and it's like, I mean, the customer just imagined that there's a whole line of people just ready to go to work, you know, with their tools, and it's just enthusiasm. So be in, in be cheerful. But it's the cheerfulness is what I'm wanting to, to put the emphasis on there. And... But you represent the company. When you answer the phone, when you work on the, on the job, you represent the company, but you also represent Christ. You represent Christ. Was Christ, though, another day of work today? No. Jesus was cheerful. He was full of joy. It was overflowing out of Him. He couldn't contain it. And that's the way we need to be. Now, I want to tell you about somebody. You all know him. I'm going to mention his name. This brother worked for me for about three years. And I mean, his enthusiasm was contagious. And he, everywhere he went, he was, I mean, he was whistling. He was happy. He was cheerful. You ask him how he's doing. I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. Brother Tom, Tom Muller. And, and his enthusiasm was contagious. It made me feel cheerful. It made me feel happy. So that's when I think of, an, of a cheerful employee. I think about him. I did have eight. I'm sorry. It was on the next page. It's not up there. But the last one was be considerate. Be considerate. Just being thoughtful. Thinking about how my attitude and actions affects others. How it affects my employer. How it affects my fellow employees. Be considerate. Well, I've covered a lot of ground. I think, in a lot of different areas of, of being a servant, serving our masters. I want to close with this story. Once there was a British soldier, and he was blind, blinded in battle. This man was also a trained musician. And when he recovered from the hospital, after spending several months in the hospital, when he recovered, uh, they put a piano in there so he could play music for the wounded soldiers that had been sent to this London hospital. Every now and then he was playing his piano and he heard the shuffling of feet around him. He was blinded, he couldn't see, didn't know who he was playing for. But he'd hear that and he kind of wondered, is anybody listening to my music? Do you ever wonder that in your job? Is anybody listening? Is anybody noticing? 
what I'm doing. That's what he was wondering. Anybody listening to my music? But he didn't let that distract him. He just played his best. Just kept playing his best every, every day, trying to cheer up the injured that were maybe depressed. And one day at the conclusion, as he finished a song, he paused a little bit and he heard some clapping. He thought, what in the world? And Kenny turned his sightless eyes to the direction of the clapping and he asked the question. He says, who are you? And he heard this voice, says, I'm your king. I'm your king. And this monarch had come by to, to also cheer up the soldiers. And this man was playing his piano. He was blind. He couldn't see the king. And you see, he was using his talent to entertain royalty. He just didn't realize it. What about you? And what about me? When we're in the workplace, aren't we entertaining royalty? Aren't we really working for the king? He's observing our loyal service. He's observing our attitudes. He's observing our second mile opportunities that we're taking. Someday, if we serve faithfully, we're going to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Just remember that, young men, young women, all of us. Whatever we're called to do, whatever we're doing, we're playing for the king. We're looking forward to that day when he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant.